Okay, here we go. The Panda Magazine. He's about to get crazy and wild. Stay for a while. Don't touch a radio dial. The Magazine. Kicking it back. Sports talk. Listen to that and stay tuned for some giggles and last go. Welcome to the Planet Mikey Show. Oh my God, 21 episodes already. We are really cranking them out, aren't we? <laughs> Good thing we're these uh, nose-to-the-grindstone type of broadcasters that we are. 21 episodes in, and uh, we want to thank our sponsors. Of course, Dr. Robert Leonard. Prevent baldness in your lifetime. Uh, 1-800-GET-HAIR. Six locations in New England. I could list them, but God, do I have to strain my pooper that early in the show? Warwick. Salem, New Hampshire, Newton, Braintree, Worcester, and Boston. Dr. Robert Leonard and Dr. Matthew Lepresti, saving your head from baldness. Uh, also, our good friends at Joe Fish, guests of the Planet Mikey podcast, enjoy themselves a fine, fine dinner either at uh, the Loft or Joe Fish in North Andover and North Reading. Uh, maybe today we'll get around to a little bit of... Uh, of uh, the phrase that pays this little radio gimmick I pulled out of my ass. <laughs> it's from I think it's from the seventies, but that's okay. Uh, we have a very special guest tonight. He's a good friend. I say this because uh, he is. It's true. I've known him for twenty five years. Glenn Ordway, the Big O. Hi, Big O. Mikey, it's great to see you, buddy. Good to see Ben. Good and to Smitty. see you. All the boys are here. And Smitty. Yeah, yeah Smitty. Smitty. You know, you I, you had a, pr a technical problem today on the on the show. A little problem. Yeah, what happened? The phones? Oh, we had no phones for four hours, but uh, <laughs> haven't done that in about 25, 30 years. But it was an adventure. But Sid, Sh Sid Schweiger was on the case. Did <laughs> Sid, he jump on it? Sid who? Sid Schweiger. What's his name? <laughs> Schweiger? Schweiger? What is it? Schweiger? <laughs> Whatever. I don't even know how to pronounce it. All I know is I had no phones for four hours, yeah. Mikey. Yeah. Four hours. No phones. I have a quick Sid Schweiger story. Good. Yeah, he uh, Joe Fish. Speaking of Joe Fish, uh, they sent in lobster rolls for everybody, like twenty lobster rolls for the whole staff. This is a few years ago. When is this I, coming? Back, next back, half oh. hour? Oh no! I <laughs> back I when I used to work at EI, oh, you right. know. And they sent in all these lobster rolls, and they sent me a three-pound lobster in this big aluminum container, and said right on top of it, "This is for Mikey only. You know, don't touch it." So I come down to the to the office, and I see that the tail has been cut off this three-pound lobster, which, of course, is the that's the meat of... that's When you eat a lobster, a big one, that's what you want, the tail. So I said, well, who did this? Sid Schweiger <laughs> did it. So I went on the air that night, and I said, that fucker... No, I didn't say that. I said, I said Sid, Sid Schweiger stole my lobster. I said, that's probably the only piece of tail he's ever ripped off. <laughs> you know, he didn't even understand. <laughs> he didn't even get it. Anyway, uh, how you been, man? I've been great. Good. And you? Good. You look great. You look terrific. You know, I got to tell you, your show is the only one I listen to really? regularly. You're just saying that. No, I listen to no. the midday Probably show. I the same thing to everybody else that's been in here. Well, Has Mutt done the show yet? <laughs> hey, why haven't, why haven't you let Mutt fuck up your show? I mean, he's, he, fucked up, <laughs> he, he fucked up the nights. He fucked up the midday with, with Lou. Uh, now he's fucking up yeah. the mornings. How come you're not letting I him I just try? leave Mutt alone. Let him do his thing. You know, you let artists just go. And create. And what's his thing exactly, Mud? It's kind of like <laughs> something like that. It's good to see that you've let bygones be bygones. No, right? I don't. This is a weekly struggle for me, is it? Glenn. A weekly struggle. No, I just can't understand. Uh, you know, it, look, I've been in radio forty-five years, as long as you. Yeah. I just don't understand how he how he got in the door on that morning show. Was it? A, it must have been a Kirk thing. 
I heard your uh, podcast about it, and uh, it was interesting. And I noticed they responded the next day. I think that was part of it. Yeah, yeah. I guess Kirk, you know, they were both, and Kirk are, are friends, yeah. and, and that was part of it. Yeah, but it might have been a little bit more, and that they liked what uh, Mutt was doing at night. Yeah, and they thought it might translate. How could you not? It, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they thought it might translate in the morning. I right. I, uh, you know, but anyway, enough of that, because honestly, your show is now, here's what I always find amazing, too. And Ben, we were talking about this on one of the other podcasts we had here. They had this big upheaval. And I remember it was 2013, right? When they forced you out. Uh, I think it was 2013, yeah. 2013. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's this is the one thing you don't do, is screw around with that. You know, well, I mean, you've been there for how many years, and you had this thing going on, all of a sudden... And there's solutions to the problem, as we all as we Mike all know. Salk. Mike Salk. They solved the problem. Their, pollution, their solution to midday was to move Dale and, and Holly, put mud in, then move mud out, put Tim Penn's in, right. and then take you out, put right. Mike Salk in. And what happens eventually? You're doing afternoons. Dale's doing midday. Callahan's still on in the morning. Basically, the old boss is the same as the new boss. Yeah. Big good song. Big, really so when Sarandis going to come back for nights? <laughs> That's a good point. What is Teddy best Sarandis night show at EEI? What is Teddy Sarandis doing these days? Well, he's probably moved to renting. Florida. Was a realtor for a while. That's what I heard. Was he? Uh, yeah, I heard he was a realtor. What, what is he on the same like? station as Shepard now? Sell stuff. I am not yeah. going to pay closing costs. No, I, think that are excessive. I think he was in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. Really? Mm. Yeah. That's it's not bad. Do you now? I, I don't know that you want to share them, but do you have any old Celtics Ted Sarandis travel road stories? Well, I have one. I have a good uh, Ted Sarandis story. So, um, so one night we're in um, in Los Angeles. It's um, and I, I'll, I'll I'll tell you the one. There's two stories I could tell you. One is probably better than the other one. So let me give you the other one first. Okay. 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 So we're in Detroit, and Rick Roby is. Remember Rick Roby? Sure. A wild man. He was he was absolutely crazy. So Rick Roby comes into the uh, into the bar. We're all sitting around. We're just shooting the shit and talking about stuff. And Ted Sarantis is at the bar, and he's trying to pick up this woman at the bar and Roby just starts laughing as he walks in. He said, Booker, hey, Booker, he's going, he's going, it's Booker. <laughs> he didn't know. Yeah. So it, there's a bunch of us sitting around and Roby starts taking bets on the table. He said, I'm telling you right now, I will get her to leave with me and I won't pay a dime. Okay. I won't pay a dime for it. So we're going, come on, come on. Teddy's going to pay money out of his pocket. It was obvious, you know, Teddy was into some of that stuff. I don't know if you know the story, but <laughs> there was a um, a uh, prostitute who was killed by a professor at Tufts. And Teddy was one of the pallbearers for the uh, for the prostitute. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know that story? <laughs> Jesus. True story. Really? I yes. believe you. True story. Yeah. I'm just so stunned. She, so she yeah. had that many friends? <laughs> True story. So anyway, so anyway, uh, we're there and Roby and we're all putting cash on the table because it was obvious that Teddy was into this thing. You know, to each his own. I have no problem with it. If sure. Teddy wants to do it. You know, sometimes you go in for a massage and maybe you get a little extra. Yeah, or, okay. or she rubs you to leave a little way. lighter. Maybe. That's that's the way. Right. So we all put money on the table saying money speaks louder <laughs> than you, Rick. Who are you? You're not Larry Bird. Who are you? You're Rick Roby. So Roby goes over there. The next thing I know, he's sweet talking this woman. Teddy's got this aggravated look on his face. Yeah. Like, holy shit, he's taking my woman away like, from like me. Like, this has happened to me before. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and he had this, oh, this face, the expression. Next thing you know, Roby leaves with the woman, goes upstairs. 
Now, we don't know, and, and we refused to pay him in the end because we don't know whether he paid or not. We don't know. We didn't have video in the room. We right. didn't have the cameras in there, so we couldn't tell if there was a How much money was on the table? Uh, there was like three, $400. Oh, so it was definitely more than she yeah. was charging. Yeah. No, there's some serious money on the table. That's big. But it was hilarious. Hey, was... Roby walked away, and poor Ted was sitting there <laughs> by himself, table for one Ted. That well, the good thing about prostitutes one. is that there's always another one around the corner. And so from well, that from that time on, we used to call them table for one day. Table for one. <laughs> well, a lot of those women didn't know until they actually got involved, probably, that he had a retractable dome. <laughs> <laughs> so God, you hold on, you're using the same fucking material. <laughs> you before. Well, I haven't worked you haven't in come three up years. with new material. Why Jesus. should I? No one's heard it in oh three my years. God, please, Mikey. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And, you know, I'm into recycling. You know, and you're ripping mud. That's what it is. Okay. Well, yes, I am, as yeah, a matter of fact. Right. And, I, you know, for good reason, you know. And it, it's, it comes down to one simple thing, you know. Uh, he fucked me. Now, <laughs> uh, but I'll get over it, though. I will eventually. Uh, once he, once he, once he has an opportunity to ruin your show, then... He's not going to ruin why, why did you? Why did you open that can of worms again? I, I, was I thought we closed it. It was stupid. I'm like, thanks, Ben. Well, ben know, was always a good producer. Kept me out of trouble, and now I'm getting back in the track. I, I want to ask you about the producers and how much, how big a part did they play in the success of the uh, the the marked success of the of the big show? Because we they all play, know they play a big part. Andy was with because they, for a they long become time. yeah they become personalities into the show right and um, they become part of. How you approach every single day. So no, they're. I'm not going to tell you that they're not important. I think the problem in the business right now, yeah, is that people in that run these companies um, don't value them enough. They don't respect the they position. Don't. They don't value them enough. And I think you would get better producers if you paid them more. I think you would get better producers if you made them more, you know, engaged in and part of the the uh, the process. Make them feel appreciated yeah. for what they do. I think yeah. that's that's key because. I watched a lot of good producers leave in the past two years, two, three years. A lot of the people I, I respected and really liked as producers on that radio station just said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not getting paid enough to, to have to deal with this. I don't know how they do it, yeah. to be honest with you, Mike. I mean, especially once you want to get married and have a family, you, you can't do that. Right. There's no money in it. And unless you're planning on moving up the ladder, you tell me, Ben, what were your goals? Where did you want to go? Because you staying at that position you weren't going to make any money well i didn't get into it to be a producer that was kind of how you fell back and stayed in the business while you're trying to get on air and then there was never that break the other way and i didn't ever really want to go that other direction become a program director or anything like that i never wanted that so or unless you can get rep. on or a sales rep <laughs> unless you can get on air there's really no point staying anymore you know you reach that plateau you know number yeah. wise and you're like all right well, yeah where do you go now, you and I went back to the days when, you know, we, we started on the air, right? You started on the air. That was your first job? Yes. I didn't do, ever do any producing, and it, it was clear in my, in my later work ethic that I never produced. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't organized enough. <laughs> no, it's like, to me, if this, if this is going to be really work, then I, fuck it. I don't want to do yeah, this. you don't want to work. No, I want to just they be able to come in and you wing th it. You think those notes These aren't notes, organized? Yeah, look. Look at this. Who wrote those for you? I did. <laughs> you I did didn't. this myself. <laughs> you did. No. <laughs> Smitty wrote those all down for you. <laughs> no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> We got the big O in the studio, and I still call you the big O. Is that okay? You can call me whatever all you right. want. I've been called worse. The early days prior to WEI, we all know, and it's pretty well chronicled, what happened when you, you know, you and Janet Prensky in the early oh days of WEI. Please. But before that, what were your radio gigs? Um, first job I had was 
in 75, first job in Boston, because I worked at a local station up in Beverly for a couple of years. And I um, I actually became like the program director, station manager. I started, obviously, you were 18. doing crap. Yeah, I was doing crap. But I was working in New York as an actor. And that was working great for me for a while. And then it failed miserably. I was unemployed for about a year and a half. Had no money. I was behind like three months, four months of my rent, which is never good. They they actually <laughs> they actually take action against you. I yeah. found that out. They put like this thing on the door and they get mm-hmm. your shit out of here. And yeah. it's one of those deals. So it was bad. And I came back home because uh, I could live with my parents and then got a job up in Beverly, worked there. And then my first job in Boston was working with Ned Martin and Jim Woods. And they were just taking over on uh, WMEX, was just taking over the Red Sox broadcast from WHDH. And Ned Martin and Jim Woods were these old, grumpy, I loved them dearly, guys who said, what, we're going to have to do a pregame show? Because the old days, you were there for the first pitch, and that was it. Right. Boom, we start the game, and then when the, the final out, that's it. Good night, everybody. Yeah, none of this overdone pregame so, stuff. Yeah, a guy by the name of Paul Kelly hired me. And he wanted me to do a pregame show, the post game, and then during the game, I would be over at Fenway Park for home games, back in the studio for road games, and I would do the drops in the game because Ned and Jim refused to do the Anyone? drops. <laughs> and that was just the start. There was nothing like what you're hearing right now. There were just maybe one in inning. Gansett, Narragansett. Exactly. Longer, yeah, quick thing. And I would jump in, yeah. and I would do that. <laughs> so you basically were Ted Sarandon. Yes, and I thought Ned Martin, and I did the post-game show after <laughs> that the with the calls. Without the hookers. And I did the post-game show. But Ned and Martin and Jim Woods were great to me. I thought they were going to be assholes to me. I thought they would not like this guy in French. Right. Instead, they loved me. Hey, 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 boy, go do this. Go do this. <laughs> I was doing all the other the legwork. Sounds work. like love. Pre-game, pre-game interviews. Yeah. I would have to go down and interview, you know, yeah. Don Zimmer. So all this hard stuff. Except yeah. for the game, you were doing everything. It was the greatest gig in the world. Yeah. It was the greatest now, gig how, in the world. How long until uh, Don Zimmer hated you? Uh, talk show going home, kept on blaming it on his wife. His wife would listen and it would, it all started when Butch Hobson, you probably remember this, Mikey, Butch Hobson made like about 40 errors in one season, 49, 49. (laughs) And the problem he had was he had bone chips in his elbow and he couldn't make the throw over to first. And Don Zimmer was so stubborn. He kept on throwing him out of third base every day. So he would double and triple hop the throw over to first base and routine ground balls would be, would be. You know, the guy would be on first or second. Be an error. Or second. <laughs> and so I kept on saying, you can't, he can't do this. And he finally just screamed at me one day. And then two years later was the culmination of it. We were in spring training. We were down at uh, the old place, Winter Haven, yeah. Florida. Chano Lakes. And he literally, in a, in a press conference, came at me. And Haywood Sullivan. Like you were Pedro? Yes. Got in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he got in between the two of us. And I was hoping that he actually would hit me because I'd be right now on some island in the Caribbean. I wouldn't be sitting here doing a fucking podcast with you guys. <laughs> Fair enough. Living, yeah. living on gerbils yes, dime. Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't have had that great career I've well, had he, in the world of radio. He held a grudge. What uh, the fuck, you know? The thing about Zimmer was, and Bill Lee told me this too, he, he said he, he would hold a grudge forever. He said... He didn't mind playing for Dick Williams because he'd get pissed at you and and put you in the doghouse, but he'd let you out. He would even it would even be worse though because Lee and those guys. I used to get along with those guys, and he didn't like it when Zimmer saw me talking to those guys. Right. At one point, 
he brought me aside and he said, you know, these college guys, he, that's what he called them. Yeah. Like it was a negative. Willoughby somebody, and Ferguson Jenkins? Yes, yeah. Ferguson, those guys. Yeah. So somebody went beyond the 12th grade was like a negative <laughs> to Zimmer. It's amazing, though. I can't tell you how many people over the years have told me how much they love Zimmer and what a great guy he is. So I think it's the individual and how you get along with him. Yeah. And with me, we were great at the beginning. He really liked me. And he'd talk to me, and he'd give me inside info. He would do all of this. And then there was that turning point with Butch Hobson, and that was the end. Yeah, and no looking back after that. And then years later, I tried to – when I was doing Celtics games years later, he was in – it was in Phoenix one time. He was like fifth or sixth row behind where I was broadcasting. And this was many, many moons after that. I went up to shake his hand and say, hey, Zim, you know, let's go by Gandhi. How you doing? Nope. No. Nope. Mm-hmm. Call me every name in the book. Did he you really? Mother. Oh, really? Every name in the book. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, wouldn't have anything to that do That seems with. kind of petty. You should do that with Mutt. You should walk <laughs> over there, try to shake his hand. I agree. Uh, don't you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, fuck him. So, <laughs> you know, it's another famous big old, big old feud, of course, was Eddie. Yes. You and Eddie. Yes. Had a thing for a while. I remember Eddie set me up one time. I was doing a show that Eddie had set up his son's hat or something on 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 uh, Necken, and it was a Monday night football show, and I was getting paid by Eddie's production group. And Eddie called Jim Baker and told him that that the reason I wasn't on the big show this week was because you were mad because I was doing Eddie's show, which was bullshit, right? Complete bullshit. But Jim Baker wrote in the paper. And I'm thinking, what the fuck did I do? I'm doing this show over here. I get along great with everybody on the afternoon show and the big show. I mean, and all of a sudden, he's feeding Jim Baker something about me and all this fake story about you and me and all this stuff. Eddie really didn't like you. What started that? Eddie and I used to be friends. We had no issues whatsoever. Matter of fact, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I was unemployed. I got fired because the Red Sox got me fired. I've been fired by the Red Sox, and the Celtics kind of pushed me out as well. Hmm. So I think I have this to uh, to my credit. That, what, what, I'll get to that okay, if you want. Tell me why. But, <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've really been pushed out of uh, two jobs, mainly because two franchises were, were not pleased with my work, which I look at as, as a, a badge of honor. But so um, – with with Eddie, it was kind of strange that when I was out of work the first time, and I was fired back in 1980 by that WMEX, which later became WITS, um, Eddie felt bad for me, and he helped me out. And he got me a job down in the raceway, Foxborough Raceway. Yeah. And I worked there for like a month. And at that time, I had no money. I had you know to pay my monthly rent. And Eddie helped me out. And I will never forget that. It was Eddie and it was Jim McCarthy who were running that. And I've, uh, over the years, become friends with with Jimmy's uh, daughter, who happens to be one of my next-door neighbors. That's the sports huddle guys. The sports huddle guys. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that we were, we, you know, he helped me out, and I felt great about it. So I became program director. And the first thing I was told is that uh, first weekend that I was program director at EEI, at EEI, his son, Michael, had a stripper in the studio. Right. <laughs> and apparently the uh, female sales manager at the time was running a, uh, a, a sales seminar uh, right there with the glass goes to the studio. And the stripper was taking off her clothes right. inside, inside of- the studio. <laughs> so that was a problem. So I got a call. 
from the CEO at the time, Steve Dodge, who called me up on a Sunday night and he says, uh, did you hear what happened? I said, yeah, I did. And he said, yeah, you're going to have to fire the Michael Andelman. And I said. So the order came from above. Yeah, I said, okay. And he said, and, and hold on. He goes, uh, I do not want you to go to Eddie first. Okay, this is an employee. The way it works is that you go directly to the employee. You tell the employee what they did wrong, and therefore you tell them that you're going to have to, you know, expire their employment. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I followed the instructions. Why not? I mean, I'm getting paid. Eddie wasn't paying me at the time. As I said, it was nice that he helped me out when I was in trouble. But you didn't have any choice. But I had no choice. No, I had to. And so I fired his son. And his son was great about his son. Michael said, yeah, I really didn't want to do this anyway. (laughs) He was great. He's he's not a bad kid, Mike. No, he's a great kid. And then from that point on, though, uh, Eddie turned on me. So, And I was like, death to Eddie because I had You went against the family. And his line was, why didn't you tell me? And I said, because I could. Because this is how it works in in a corporation. I I can't do that. They won't. I had to go directly to him. Right. And that's what he was most pissed off at. Why didn't I come to him? Because he thought he could persuade me to keep his son employed. And that wasn't going to happen. So, but did he know his son didn't really want that job? Uh, no, I don't think he did. Yeah, so you know, that's... most most parents don't realize that they, you know, we all push for the best for our kids. Sure, and we push them right across. And his kids have done great. I mean, they've they've got a, a very successful business with a Phantom Gourmet. They've done great. Right. And that's you why know? I tell my son every day when I get home, that, you know, I want you to be the best Lyft driver. That you could so you're driving Lyft right now? Yes. Really? Yeah. Are you doing I'm a it? Lyft driver. And you're doing it for what reason? I, I'm, you know what it is? I'm, I'm pulling a Dave Cowens on my universe. You know how Dave Cowens said, I'm going to walk away and drive a cab from, from the yes. NBA? Remember? Right. He, well, he, he went right back. So you have a perfect perfect podcast here. How about cameras? Do you ever think of installing cameras in the in the lift vehicle? Oh, a couple times. Is that the lift vehicle I saw outside? Yeah, yeah. The Mercury. The, what is the, it? The, the Grand Marquis. Oh my God! Get, what a vehicle! Let's go for a ride after what the podcast. Vehicle. It's awesome. Man. My grandma used to have one of those. It's got full leather. <laughs> it's got full leather. Full leather. FM radio. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good now, gig. Now, why do I? People say, "Well, Mike, why would you become a lift driver after your glorious forty-five year career?" Road again. I can't wait to get on the road again. You know, Big O, it's... What production this, on this podcast? I got right? this in my soul, being on the road. You know, I used to commute from Ellington, Connecticut to Boston when I, for years, 90,000, 90 miles each way every day. Right. And So you ended up taking uh, Howard Stern's job at one time, right? Actually, yes, in, in 1980. How, how did that work out for you? Yeah, well, <laughs> think about this, you know. His career, he's done know, nothing. Uh, he's done no- Don't worry about it. We Mikey. were in the same. Mikey, station. it's all inflated. He's done nothing. We were in the same Made station nothing. at the same time. And guess what? <laughs> I mean, his career shit the bed, and I'm driving a fucking beautiful Grand Marquis. It's <laughs> a good point. It's good, but you're happy though. I it's am all happy. it matters. Yeah. So, but I'm doing this because of the adventure of it. Now, <laughs> people don't get in the car and go, "Hey, hey, aren't you that radio guy?" No, because it's radio. They, no one recognizes me ever, and I like. They don't it that recognize way. you never, and I think that's so good because I will. I don't want to have to explain why I'm driving a lift here, but <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, uh, I do it for fun, and I talk to people, and they're all nice, and you know, I got to say this though: eighty percent of the people I've picked up don't speak English. Really? No. 
Where's your root? Or broken English, if, if at best. Really? Yeah. They don't know where they're going. They just put it in the app. I drive them. They don't say a word to me. And if they do, it's not. It's in broken English. Uh, and I got to tell you. You're doing this in Framingham? Eight, well, no. It's, all, <laughs> it's, all, it's not just Framingham now. You know, one out of – did you know that one out of 30 people living in Massachusetts is an illegal alien? Now, that's okay. Where are you getting those numbers? That's you can look it up. You can okay. you can where, Google where it. <laughs> you can Google it. Right. One out of thirty Massachusetts residents. Now they're from all different countries. When I pick up Lyft driver, uh, Lyft uh, riders, they're from India, they're from Sri Lanka, they're from Mexico, they're from the Dominican Republic, they're mm-hmm. from El Salvador, uh, they're from Africa. Is that and, where you get your marijuana now? No, oh no, I got a guy. I got a guy. He's from he's from Lynn. Oh, really? really? It surprised me. He's an American. Well, no, <laughs> but I don't know if you heard. It's legal now. Yeah, I heard. But this Lyft driving thing is an adventure that I can, I can, uh, you know, I have so many different things to talk about of what happened. See, I hate Lyft drivers and Uber drivers who talk to me. You do. You I want, do. You want your privacy? Yeah, you're probably one of those guys that just talks nonstop. Well, you know, they say you should get the Uber and the Lyft thing, and you can drive both at the same time and get more double the business. But Whatever. I can tell you what I did. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I agree know. with you. Just shut uh, up. Do, Let, do, just drive me, me where fa- I do need me, to go. Do me a favor. Right. It, you know, and I don't mind if they're really nice because they're nice and they look at, hey, how are yeah. you? And sometimes they have bottled water for you yeah. or they have mints, which basically says you got bad breath. You know, take a mint. Cocaine. But when, they, when, they, yeah. when they sit Cocaine. there and start talking, like when you're out of, t- especially when you're out of town, like yeah. we've been, we were in Florida for spring training. Oh, my God. They t- And they're never from Florida. Yeah. So they sit there and go, I'm from Minnesota. I came down here because of the good weather. Yeah. And then they chew your ear up nonstop. Right. I don't care about your Here's life how you end that. Here's how you end that. You say, could you pull over here Dunkin' Donuts? I want to get you a nice big hot cup of <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was going to go over with Uber because that's the one, maybe the bigger name of the two. So why did you go with Lyft? Because well, you wanted to no, help them out? No, here's what happened. <laughs> I, Bring his celebrity to them. Exactly. In order to become an Uber driver, you, you take a picture of all your insurance documents and your driver's license and so on, and you send it to them, and then they officially say you're a driver now. I accidentally photographed <laughs> my my medical marijuana card instead of my driver's license. Big <laughs> O. You, doesn't surprise me, No, but they, look how similar they are. Here, here's the two. Me. Look, see? Oh, they do look similar. Yeah. You're right. So I photographed... You're, you're still I, a dope. Yeah, I except one of them has big red letters on the side that says... Patient. Yes. Hey, that says patient. One says patient. The other one says driver. Okay. <laughs> so, but look, Mikey, so I take idiot. a picture. No. I send this patient card to Uber, and then I thought they're not going to let me drive. So I went to Lyft and gave him the real yeah. thing, the driver's license. Yeah. But anyway, that's what I'm doing for fun. It's not about the so money. So I miss you in the radio business. I've got to tell you, I do miss you in the radio business. You're wacky as hell. There's no chance I, I will ever work in radio again. Why is that? Well. Because they don't want you. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> <laughs> you do know that. Yeah. EEI, I had such a bad taste in my mouth. Now, when you left, the first time you left in 2013, right. the only time, they you know, they let you go on the air and say goodbye. Three and days. Celebration. Of- Hold on. I take it back. Three days, and then they leaked it to Chad Finn on the second day. Right. Because I was going to be three days without yep. anybody knowing about it. But go right. ahead. And I remember that. It was a, it, I was a huge fan, and I thought, this is the w- wrong thing to do. When I left, what they did was they uh, let Kirk know about it first. You know, he knew about it. Suddenly, four days before I'm fired, he's calling me on the phone apologizing to me for, for what I don't know what. And he never really said what. He apologized to you? Well, that's what, ostensibly what he was calling about. So, <clears throat> so now I'm like, 
And I've been there 23 years. You know, I was there with Phil Serkin over at I the remember. Schraff Center. I remember you, Mike. I, I was there for 23 <laughs> years. I thought, well, when I get fired, maybe I'll have a nice little party and they'll give me a watch and they'll say, hey. I didn't th- get invited. What happened? <laughs> thanks, invite for, me? thanks for all the hard work <laughs> that you did, all the appearances you made. At the- so I remember when you first got the job. Yeah. And so when you got the job at, at night, we all knew about it a week in advance and whatever. And I remember we were all sitting around and we're saying, Intercom is so damn cheap. There's no way they're going to do any marketing for this. How do we create a buzz right. for Mikey coming on at night? Aside from the buzz he carries into the building. Exactly. So we sat around and we said, why don't we do some type of spoof? And we finally came to the conclusion of we're going to have Mikey lock himself in the studio when we're doing a transition between me and him. And then he's got to get the job, or he's had it because nobody is telling him whether he has this job. Or holding not. it hostage, right? Basically. So we knew a week in advance that Mikey had already gotten the uh, gotten the gig. He did all the paperwork and whatever. Right? You yep. got all the, yep. the the perks, the great perks we used to get, right? <laughs> and I remember that night we pulled this thing off, and this is the the days before you had social media or Twitter. Sure. At, in those days, it would have been instant and been you know gone on yeah. fire. This was oh five. What's going on? Yeah. So we do it, and literally, 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later, Mikey's locking himself in the studio, and he's screaming, I'm not leaving. And I had recorded something in the daytime with me out in the hallway actually swearing where they bleeped it out so they can make it sound a little bit more authentic, like it was really happening. But to be honest with you're you, you're still an actor. It, it still was. It still was kind of fake, right? It of still course was, it was. And people bought it hook, line, and sinker. First of all, where's the SWAT team? 20 minutes later... <laughs> Uh, Channel 25 crew is yep. outside. Channel 5 is outside with one of those stupid TV <laughs> And they're all coming in, and they all want to interview Mikey through the glass. Right, right. But we couldn't really – we couldn't let him in, uh, in that close because they would see clearly that there was no – you know, there were no bookcases blocking the door or what have you. So we kept him out at bay outside, but they did make a big story out it of it. It was unbelievable. It became an instant Jason story. Jason called on the air and said, you know, what are you doing? You know, what are you, yeah. what are you trying – you know. Yeah. And we had this big fake thing on the air. It was all fake. Yep. So do people still ask you whether that was real or fake? Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah. They what do, do you tell them? Do I say no, it was fake. <laughs> it was a stunt. It was a stunt. It was, to- it was totally fake. I have people come up to me. <sighs> but you know what? The they locked thing. me out when I when they fired me too. Yeah, they did. They locked me out too. Yes. They, they, they got back for the lot. Well, they got, they got a big talent. They got Mike Saul. <laughs> and you know, and I was like saddened by the fact that uh, people, all my listeners, for 11 years, I had listeners on the show that every night they had to listen to Mutt at Night. Oh, here you go again. Jeez. <laughs> nice. Let it go. Well, that see, wasn't I, your fault, Glenn. See, I feel bad with Mutt. I don't even, you know, I don't even respond anymore. Well, I got to so, ask so you this. You, Has this ever happened in the radio industry before? Uh, a guy fails at midday. <laughs> Wait a minute. Fails at midday, ruins the night show, gets a DWI, and still keeps his job. Hey, As Mike. a matter of fact, they put him on mornings. Hey, Mikey, instead of doing right, the, okay, this I'm lift sorry. stuff, I'm sorry. write a book. You know what? Just write a book. Yeah, I, uh, I, Mutt's a monkey. I don't think about this until I Adams. see people yeah. I worked with, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, so Big O, your daughter, Amanda, I saw this on Twitter. She finished again, and I guess this isn't the first time, no. the Boston Marathon. She did. You were right there at the finish line. I, I, I was actually doing a broadcast in the Lennox. We were there with uh, Teddy Bruschi's team. And uh, I said, I got to go because you get to watch this thing now. The BAA has an app. And so you can watch 
every one of the runners on where the, they are. Oh, wait a minute. You can isolate on the... No, it's a chip. It's in their bib, oh, so right, you know okay. exactly where they are. So I knew she was coming down Boylston. Right. And so I went out there, and yeah, I was there the just before she crossed the finish. Cheering around, you gave her a hug? Well, she's... And I'm going, what are you doing? Get, get in there. It's going to kill your time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was it was, it was cool. You know what it's like when your kids do something that um, is really cool, oh, and huge. they accomplish something, and she really worked hard at it. She did it last year in those awful weather conditions. Yeah. And she finished it last year. And I was really proud that she did it last year. And she said, I got to go back and do it again. She did it all for charity. So she raised money for charity. I said, she said, I got to do it again because I've got to do it when the conditions are actually like normal. Decent, yeah. And they were yeah. decent. She loved this run. Yeah. yeah. So you got five children. Let me just I run do. through this now. You got Amanda who ran the Boston Marathon. Right. You're very proud of her. And she yeah. should be. You have two other children named Michael Holly. Uh, no, I have a Michael who's a son, and I have, have a Holly, Holly who's a, a female. Uh, well, no, I know. And I worked with Michael Holly. <laughs> well, I know, but isn't that worked funny with that you, Ben as well? Two, you, worked with all of Two us. of your other kids are named Michael Holly? No, it wasn't. No, <laughs> one kid is named Michael, and the other kid is named Holly. If you have another kid, you can name and him Salt. I have Salk? a Sam. I have no, I, say, I do not have a Salt. No, I do not have a Salt. <laughs> you next but, you know, if I have another kid, and it's probably not going to happen, I'll name him Salt just for you. With Christian or Lou? Uh, no, I don't think so. Though. By the way, that show sounds really good. Thank the, you. The, the combination. Now, you've always been, uh, since I've known you, uh, the most amazing ringmaster at the circus. I, I, I liken you to that because on the old big show days where you had constant rotational people coming in and out, different people every day, you always had your, uh, uh, you know, your Pete Shepard and the guys. But you were a, a ringmaster. Okay, you would direct traffic. You would steer conversations. You would, you knew when to, you know, when to pull something out of somebody, and when to shut them up. Uh, but that was one of your very important skills in those days. Now you're in a combination with two guys, Lou Merloni, who, thank God, he got rid of Mutz because his career took off after that. Whole <laughs> <laughs> podcast has a theme to it, doesn't it? Fuck. And then, wow. and then, of course, Christian Fourier, who's who's got talent. Yes, they're both idiots. Both I love them, guys. and they're good with you. Yeah. Are you comfortable and happy in this? Yeah, I, I I like the show. I like doing the show with those two guys. It's a different show, and you know we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us because obviously Felger and Maz are, are killing it in afternoon drive. But you know we're in for the long haul, and you know we we I like doing the show, and I think the show is getting better. I like the show. I think it's it's a it good show. It was good midday too. I think it's a good show. It, yeah. and we get to number one in midnight. Yeah. But there's you know going up against Felger and Mass, two guys that were all part of the whole big show. Right. It's a tougher challenge. There's no question about it. But I like what we're doing. Maybe right? the way, to, but it's to... very different than what you were talking about because I was I was more of the facilitator. Yeah. And then doing the show with Michael Holly, it was a two-man show, and it was very different. And Michael and I were were different. I think by the end, uh, Michael and I had a good rapport, and it was pretty good. But it took so long to get there. And I don't think it was anybody's fault. It was just, it is what it is yeah. when you put people together in a in a studio. And with these guys, they were uh, in there with uh, Tim Benz, and it was not working. Um and so they put me in there saying, oh, let's try it out. My thing had uh, had failed. So I was looking to get back into it, and they were all over me. And so I said, let me try it. So I think you did. guys are doing really well. The chemistry is is, is fine. And you know, it, you, it seemed to be working so well together, like as if you've known each other for a long time. I've known Lou for a long time. Yeah. I've not known Christian for a long time. But I think we've all become... Friends, we respect yeah. each other, and we can bust balls. And you know, when you're doing a show, if you can bust you balls. You have to be able to. Right. If you can do that, 
and nobody's pissed off when you get to the break. Mm-hmm. That's always the test, right? That's the litmus test. When you get to the break, yes. if you're sitting there busting balls and you're sitting there going, you know what? Still, this still is good laughing. radio. This is good stuff. And then you, you get to the break and nobody's sitting there MFing you. You feel like you're okay. We're okay. Right. Who, do, who do you like more personally? Uh, Oh, no, this is like children. You don't go there, Ben. I oh, like, they're your children I like, I like now. Them. They're very different. No, they're very different. <laughs> they're very different. I mean, Christian obviously is a little bit more wacky than uh, than Lou is. But I like Lou's a little angry. And, and Lou's angry, but I like that in, mm-hmm. in Lou because you need that. You need somebody who's going to be cynical, who's going to be. So I think it's a good. I agree with Mikey. I think the chemistry is really good. It and feels I, right. And to me, chemistry yeah, is, I like listening to is, is more. Good. Chemistry is more important to me. Then the knowledge. I, I hate it when the writers, and I know writers do this, right? They say, uh, you know, media guys, put a hockey guy and a football guy together. Put a, the, the content when you're talking about subject matter is irrelevant. You really need personalities. You need chemistry. And then the other stuff works. Some of the best people in the business have the least knowledge when it comes to pure sports knowledge, right? right. I think more. that's boring, I think, really. Yeah, I think fans out there sometimes have more sports knowledge than many of the people that are on the air. That's the stuff that really works. Chemistry and personality and taking some, you know, some chances and trying some you yeah. know, crazy stuff. Because knowing everything, being an astute observer of sports, and there are millions of them, they, you know, they're on the internet all day. Ted Sarandis. Ted Mutt? No, seriously. No. <laughs> They're on the internet and they know everything, but that doesn't Is mean... this a contest? How many times Mud can be mentioned in one podcast? That doesn't do, mean do you can convey something? it in an interesting yeah. fashion I'm just because you know it. I'm going to drink. Thanks for the red wine, by the way. <laughs> what are those things you're smoking? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. You uh, had to ask. Yeah, the red wine here. Uh, I'll I'll take a sip every time you mention Mud. Okay. From now on. You're going to be right. hammered. Right. 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 I'll get a lift And you can drive me home in that Grand Marquee out there. <laughs> you, you just have to set it up on your phone first. leather interior? No, yeah, of course it does. Are you kidding me? What would I buy? Would I buy a grand marquee with cloth? Come on, a grandma, a grandma, baby. Now, uh, we've had. I I did so many shows with the Big Show, and we had so many, so many good times. On this podcast already, a few stories have come up. Steve McMichael's visit with Lenny Clark and Smurlis was great. Oh, you almost killed. Uh, poor Lenny. I thought Lenny was going to die that day. And if Freddie didn't step in, Mike Michael was on something. I yep, mean, he was, he was. there was no question. He was out of his mind. And you could just see it with his eyes. And they lit up. And he looks at Lenny. And Lenny was saying nothing negative no, to him. No. And he said, I want to kill you. <laughs> and Lenny's going, oh, okay. And Lenny, you know, he's the comedian. Lenny right. Clark, hey, come up with a uh, funny line. Kill me don't give me that fucking funny line. I don't want to hear funny. Okay? I want to kill you. <laughs> right. He was coked right? out of his mind. Yeah. He yeah. was. What year been on the glass like 98, 99? What year? No, it was mid-90s. He, yeah. No, I was still... He, 96, 97. Yes. Oh, so he was, I was still doing he my was TV at show. WCW at the yes. time? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he was definitely blowing lines. Yes, he, he was, was doing a, a yeah, he was doing some promo tour or whatever. Yeah. And so, finally, uh, Freddie just... I could tell. Because I can always tell when Freddie has a move. <laughs> Freddie's got a move. The hair on his back stands yeah, right. in. <laughs> the, hand, that, the arm, this arm, which is like... It's, it's in one permanent position. It won't bend. Right. The arm just goes out like this. And he was ready. Yeah. He was ready to just grab McMichael by the throat yep. to prevent him from pouncing on Lenny. I swear to God, of all the shows I've ever done, I've never felt in fear of anybody getting hurt. That was the one. That was the day. Five minutes into it, I'm sitting there going, we got a problem. Yep. And then when he leaves, you you know, you're, 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 you say to Lenny, geez, Lenny, you got really quiet there. And then he goes. Glad I learned 
learned a long time ago. Never flick a rhino in the balls. <laughs> Which was one of the best lines ever. But there were... He uh, was scared, by the way. Yeah. Well, he was scared. Of course. Yeah. I mean, because Steve McMichael was legitimately, certifiably uh, Crazy. insane. Yeah. Do you remember the time uh, that we... Uh, had me do my Yaz impersonation and call that company and order some underwear. Yes, I do. You remember that? I do. I called. It was some uh, special pocketed underwear that made your, yes. made your package look bigger or yeah. something like that. And, and called we, us Carl Yastrzemski. Somebody found an ad and yeah. they, we called this company and we didn't even tell them we were right. on the air or anything. Right. And I said, which uh, I think is illegal. Or was uh, it illegal? Of course, What's it's the, illegal. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a Carl Yastrzemski. I'm calling about uh, those special underwear. You know, it was a ridiculous, stupid idea. <laughs> it was stupid. But, but we did it, and then we didn't get sued. So we we're all really happy. No, we did not that. get sued. But they, over the years, you had uh, you had Brett and Andy for a long time before yep. Ben came along, young yep. Ben. And uh, you, I got to tell you this now because now it's after the fact, and it has nothing to do with Mutt. <laughs> Brett, hold on. Can Brett I used to use. Say Mutt's just so I can drink. <laughs> Brett used to use me as an excuse. If he for, for, forgot to book a guest, he'd somebody, somebody you or somebody would say to him, "Well, you know, who's the other guest? Oh, Mikey, you didn't show up, you know." And he'd 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 blame me for not showing up. Back then, I needed that money more than anything. So what you're, was it three hundred, so, four hundred so show? So you're telling me, like twelve years later, yeah, that he, you actually were ready to do the show. I would have done it in a second. And he that never Brett, called me. Brett fucked you. He never fucking called me. And then he'd call. Sometimes so he'd, why, why why are you bringing this up? Because because I'm pissed at Brett. I, <laughs> so why are you telling him? Yeah, I'm telling you me. so you know. Next time you All call right. me, I'll be there. I, Twelve years later, Mikey. There's not much I can do about it. It's it's twelve years. Sometimes later. he'd call me and I get the call. He'd say, Mikey, where are you? I'd say, What do you mean, where am I? You're supposed to be here in the big show. I'd say, No, I'm not. I wouldn't forget. I needed the money. He'd say, "Yeah, you're supposed to be." He never called, and he would use that as an excuse if he failed to book a guest, saying that he had booked me and I forgot. Do you believe that? It's twelve years. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I know it's twelve years, but do you believe it? No, I. Okay. Well, Mikey, there's there's been moments in your life. Okay, I'm going to bring you back Where to. It's a fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've been a little irresponsible. Uh, that's right. Okay. So you had a reputation. Now, I, I will say, that, I will say this. I will say this. As time went on, and there were many of us, your friends, who love you dearly, who would sit there and say, Mikey, you're so fucking talented. Come on. Work yeah. at this. Yep. Show up on time. Right? Unreached we would do potential. this. We would do this. Right. And then you would. I, I thought you got much, much better. As time went on, you got much, much better. Well, we could, wanted... I quit doing coke. <laughs> okay. So that, that had something to do with it. So coke is a bad thing. You're telling the kids <laughs> who are listening to the podcast, coke is a bad thing. It's been 19 years. You think there's kids listening to this podcast? No, probably not. No, realize it, our it, demo it, is 65 to but, 85. But Mikey, you are, you're one of those guys, you're, you're so... Um, you never know what you're going to do. So I get, uh, you're right. I don't, I, I get married. I get married. My wife, Sarah, I love yep. her dearly. We're still together. And, I was at your wedding. Day. Oh, uh, yeah. That's my story. <laughs> so we have this wonderful R and B band, like a 12 piece band. My wife had loved them. She had seen them like eight, nine months in advance. And we loved this band and we had to have this band and they're doing every R and B tune or whatever. We have to go out for a while to go take pictures. Yep. Somebody comes like 15 minutes later. Somebody comes running out to me, the person that was running the wedding, the, the wedding planner or whatever, and said, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? 
one of your friends has taken over the microphone and is up there singing Al Green songs. <laughs> singing Al Green Foundation. <laughs> Baby, now that I found you, I can let you. So I go back out there and I look up at the stage and there's yeah. Mikey up there with Cocked. the band. With the band. And he's doing like old Temptation dances back <laughs> and forth. Oh rolling, his, rolling his arms. That was embarrassing. I said, that's my friend. My friend. I my was cock big o. It's and, my friend. And you know who I brought to that wedding? He brought some. A weather this, girl. This, this, is another, <laughs> this is another great story. He said to me about four weeks out, three weeks out, he said, I haven't responded to your wedding, but I am going, and it will be a plus one. I said, oh, great. Who are you bringing? He goes, a weather girl. I said, which one? He goes, not sure yet. <laughs> not sure yet. I couldn't but, think of her name. But I will find one. Who was the one you brought? Uh, Ellen. Uh, yes. She was Weekends on Channel 5. Yes. Yes. Very. Uh, yes. I'll tell you what. And I, I, that night I forecast a huge high pressure system coming up from the south, but it didn't happen. So he screwed up the whole wedding. But I was laughing my ass off. And the wedding people, because they're, they're so organized, they were all freaking out. And my wife was laughing. So as long as she was laughing, I was good. But it was funny. He was up there for one song. It wasn't a big yeah, deal. I, yeah, I but it's funny that we were disrupted from doing our pictures because Mikey was screwing up the whole the, well, you know, the whole party. I wasn't the only one cocked at your wedding. And by yeah, the way, it was a, a great people. wedding. You yeah. know what else was great? The party at your house for your 50th uh, birthday oh, party God. was fabulous. Wow. But Fred Smurlis picked me up. On his shoulder, like a, I don't know, a monkey, <laughs> and da- was dancing on the dance so floor with me you. on his shoulder. I, I was 180 pounds. He's got me up on his shoulder, just dancing around like nothing, to, like you know, no big deal. Everybody was cocked. That was a great wedding. Tommy Heinsohn. That was. Yeah. Oh, and he, when he got cocked, you could hear him for miles. You know who got along great? He and Dick Raddatz. Absolutely. They they were at the same table. They were we put best it together. Friends. We figured they would talk. And two booming voices. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I miss Raditz all the time. He had some great moments on your show as well. The greatest thing about Dick Raditz is off the air. And and I'll tell you what, if you could do a podcast, it's too bad. Back in those days, if you could do a podcast with Raditz. So there were there were issues that would pop up about young athletes getting themselves into trouble. And Raditz was really a supporter of these young guys getting into trouble. Not because he was sitting there being supportive of what they did. But Raditz would constantly say on the air, that's nothing, that's nothing. compared to what we used to do. <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? Yep. These guys are, are, are Boy Scouts compared to what we would do. We would go to a break, and then Raditz would give you a story yes. of something that he and his guys did. Yep. And I am telling you, they would be in serious trouble if it were anywhere close to 2019. Crazy. we're dealing right now. It was insane stuff. Yep. That these players were involved in years ago. Well, he told me one time he was with some girl in a, in a hotel in Anaheim, and uh, her husband came into the room. <laughs> He's with this woman in a hotel room. Can I have your autograph, Mr. Raditz? Her husband comes in with a gun. Raditz says, Raditz says, I put my hand up. I figured if he's got to shoot through my hand, at least it may not hurt me as much. And I said, I'm walking out. And he just walked out with his hand up in front of the gun. I'm sure all true, too. And he also, you know, Angie Dickinson, you know, I mean, he had stories. He used to say funny stuff. But the thing about Raditz was he would just boom right off the the top of his head. I I swear to God, it was off the air. I mean, sometimes you get the best stuff off the air. But this guy would give you unbelievable stuff. The problem was you couldn't use any of it no, on here. You couldn't. So he, that's why he would be perfect in a podcast like this. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, you know, he was ill and he um, he had diabetes and everything. I was saying he yeah. fell down stairs. Heart, congestive heart yeah, stuff. Uh, really you know. sad. But he would say stuff like, you know, he'd say, so I'm with Angie Dickinson. 
and I take my pants off, and she kind of backs up a couple steps because she says, "Cause I got a pretty big dick." <laughs> he says, "My dick looks like a baby's arm holding an apple." <laughs> All these visuals he throw on you. I so miss he him. Would, so he would say stuff like this during breaks, <laughs> yeah, right. and then you know the producer's going thirty seconds, right, and you're right. coming back and you're sitting there laughing your ass off. Unfortunately, you <laughs> couldn't bring it on the air, and of course, in his later, you know, later days, it was it, it was tough for him. Because, you know, everything had kind of changed on radio. Yeah. And, he, and it's too bad we couldn't do the stuff that was during the breaks. It was unbelievable. He was a classic. Yeah. Uh, and, and your show was a classic. I got to say, and, and this is, you know, I don't have to kiss your ass because you were friends. But I got to tell you, you something. You still have that tattoo on your ass. <laughs> Both of them. Your radio show in the afternoon, to me, was the best sports radio talk show in the history of sports radio. Well, thank you. That's kind. It was fabulous. It was fabulous to be on it. Uh, I enjoyed every moment I was on that program, and I listened to it every single day when I wasn't there because it had that uh, – it brought you in. You know, you felt like you knew all the characters, and uh, that was the fastest four hours in radio in the day. So congratulations to you on that, and I'm glad you're back where you belong, which is in that same time slot. Uh, and maybe the way to beat Maserati and Felger is to get somebody with a higher voice than Tony Maserati. We could do that. Is, is there such a thing? We could do that. But what happened? Uh, Billy shut me off. He did. He shut your microphone off. No. Smitty, you shut off Big O's microphone? Um, I want to thank you for coming in. Uh, you're welcome, Mikey. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. I haven't seen you in I three... get a lift right home. <laughs> no? That's not part of the deal. Oh, wait till you ride in this car. You're no, going to want it's good one. to see you. It's good to see one. Ben. And good to see... I see Billy every day. And yeah, I'm that's true. You see sick Smitty. of seeing Billy. Yeah. No, I but I haven't seen you in three years, and that's probably the record for me. The longest time I've gone without seeing Big O. Longest you've gone without a haircut. How, what do you think? Three years. Charles Manson body double? You look a little bit what like Manson. Be Joe Cocker in his prime? <laughs> yes. Something like that? Yeah. Now, I figure, why get a haircut? I don't see anybody. Oh, it's great seeing you, and we do miss you. We really do. We, we miss you, and uh, what, what else are you going to do? You're not going to do any radio, or? What no. happened to you up in New Hampshire? You oh, were up there for a while. Yeah, right? that was a, a kind of... Can, a, I, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. sure. What happened to you in New Hampshire? Well, I went up there. They were going to put me on three different rock stations. Uh, and then the station in Maine didn't want me on there. Didn't want anybody aside from their own people on there. So they resisted a little bit. And they gave me a two-year deal. And it lasted 15 months. And uh, I, I, it was going to kill me anyway. I was driving 90 miles each way wow. every day. So uh, I wasn't long for New Hampshire. But I met some great people. <laughs> I was trying to save. Why you gracefully you, save that? What happened to your eyes? <laughs> um, no, you, you don't. You don't miss I'm out of radio now. You don't Bigo. miss radio? No, I don't. I you, don't. You, I, I think you're lying to me. No, because this podcast is perfect for me. Yeah, podcast is good for you. What's better than working an hour a week? Uh, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. <laughs> right? Did we go an hour tonight? Because usually I notice you go like 23 minutes. Time for a cigarette. Minutes. Yeah, I don't. Ben, you don't sit there and say stretch, stretch. And you, you know, I'm not the producer. Oh. I don't smoke. You, you see him. He's over there. I, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't do cocaine anymore. I hardly fucking swear. I mean, so it's like. <laughs> have you seen any of this? I, no? I smoke. He doesn't med smoke. I, I can. marijuana. I don't smoke cigarettes. Yeah, I have I vaporizer that. over here, and that's it. I don't, uh, you know, I don't go with Ted Sarandis on any, any hooker missions. <laughs> so my life is good. True story, though. I do miss some people. You're one of them at WEI. There are some. I still have some friends there. Uh, I'm sure you Mutt. <laughs> why don't you do that? Why don't you do this? Would you tell him I said why, hi? why don't you do this? Why don't you invite Mutt out to your podcast? 
I should. And and allow him I should. to I, actually give his his side of the uh, story. Okay. You give your side, and Ben can like kind of you I'll know, be the arbitrator. He, he won't do it, but I'll tell you what, if he does, we'll keep him here extra long. I will Velcro him to the chair with his back hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, See, I, 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 I would... I would give the advice to Mud. I would be careful about coming out here. See, he never did a lot of woods in the back. <laughs> he, he, he's got he a never, beautiful studio, but in the back, a lot of woods. He never. You can hide bodies back That's there. That's the problem. Yeah. At least Dino apologized for his transgressions. Dino did. Yeah, he did. He apologized. I met him at a. I, I met him at a uh, price chopper. At a what? In the meat department. That's a, a grocery store. Okay. <laughs> I met him at the price chopper in the meat department, and he and I got. I think he lives credit. in the same town with you. He does, Upton. Yeah. He apologized to me. And Dick, I got it on Dick a text. Upton. He sent me a text that he was sorry for all the things he did that, oh, that helped was nice. me. Yeah, you know, I thought that was So maybe classy. you should do that with Munt. Maybe the two of you can kind of get over all those issues from the past. Yeah. Because you shouldn't go through life, you know, hating people or disliking them or no. feeling that they screwed you. Or... No, I, I don't. I, You right? know what? I Seriously, this is all an act. I don't give a fuck about Munt. <laughs> By the way, episode 22, Mike Mutnansky from Pepper will be I'm our guest. I'm telling you. Pepper <laughs> The peckerhead from Pepperell joins us for episode 22. Wow. Big O, thanks for coming in, You pal. got it, Mikey. It's great seeing You're you, You're the buddy. best. You got it. Great seeing you, Ben. You think this podcast is over? Oh, not till Smitty says so. That's right. I want to hear a Johnny Moe story. Oh, okay. You know what? Let's do this. We got to hear a Johnny Moe story <clears throat> from you. Legit. True. It has to be true. Oh, there's so many of them. Um, I'll give you one in Dallas. So we're in the Dallas... Um, uh, reunion Arena, and it's like uh, an hour, 45 minutes before the game starts. It's probably, I'm going to say, mid-80s. So mid-80s is when they started stopping smoking. People forget that, you know, through the 70s and 80s, you could go to these arenas and you could sit there and smoke butts. Anywhere you wanted. Anywhere you wanted. Yep. So you, on an airplane, you could I do it on amazing. an airplane. <laughs> and I remember the first time they shut Johnny down on an airplane. We We flew commercial. For a good portion of the time that Johnny was around, and then after that, obviously, the Celtics had their own private plane, and it was a lot easier. But I remember the first time they tried to shut Johnny down, he couldn't stop smoking. And we're taking five- and six-hour trips to, you know, from Boston to L.A., and he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. I mean, I'm sure you've gone through some of that, Mikey. He couldn't do it. So we're in the Dallas Reunion Arena, and Dallas might have been— because it's Texas, the last place to actually ban smoking. <laughs> so Johnny was all excited because he figured, we're in Texas. I can smoke as many butts as I want. And he's sitting there smoking away and smoking the butts and whatever. So we, we're about 45 minutes out, and I'm interviewing, I forget, Jan Folk or somebody on the court side or whatever. And then uh, Johnny's doing, supposed to interview Casey. Was it Casey Jones? It might have been. I, I forget who it was he was interviewing, but he was in, interviewing somebody else. And then Johnny disappeared, and we couldn't find Johnny anywhere. So the game is going to start. We're five minutes out from the game starting. Doug Lane is our uh, engineer and producer on site. And he's sitting there going, you know, where, where, where's Johnny? I said, it's not my day to watch him. I have no idea. So we're looking around. We can't find Johnny. Now, this is a guy who, as you know, went through an awful lot of health problems. So sure. the first thing you think of is, uh-oh. Is he having a, he a health issue? Where is he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And so we're trying to find him. We can't find him anywhere. So about I finally we're it's showtime. It's broadcast time. And Johnny would always start the broadcast. There's Johnny Most the long, you know, he never mentioned my name. There's fat guy over here. You know, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're high above courtside, or in this case, 
on the road were at courtside. And the problem was I had to do the open. And I knew that was the one thing that you just, just not step on Johnny Most. You know, for me coming in, doing the broadcast. You had no him, choice, though. It was a, I had no choice because the broadcast had to go on the air. Yeah. So I had to do it. So we still haven't found Johnny Most. So we get to the first breakdown, and then we're going out, and I, I mentioned it to Jan Volk, who was the general manager at the time. I got a problem. I can't find Most. He's nowhere around. So he goes in the back, and he tries to uh, find him or whatever. It turns out that Johnny was smoking. He would not stop smoking. They arrested him, <laughs> and they put him, and they put him in the cage. Oh no! They have a jail back Underneath. there. They put him in the cage where the drunks usually and are. So Jan Voke had been walking down the aisle and apparently heard him scream. What are they doing to me? Screaming out of the cage. How viral would that have been today? Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So finally. Jan goes and he gets Johnny out and he explains what the situation is. The guy's trying to quit smoking. He's up there at age. So Johnny comes out. Next thing I know, Johnny comes courtside. It's 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the game now. Yeah. He is sweating profusely. She throws on the headphones, swings them around his head. And then he gets on there and he starts screaming, There are right now 6,323 robberies going on. There are 123 murders going on in Dallas. There are 6,000 prostitutes. And who do they arrest? Me for smoking. Is, that's his first way. He opens up he the broadcast. Was he is screaming the whole broadcast. All he did was talk about how he hates the police in Dallas, wow. hates the people in Dallas. More, oh my more, god! More than Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he might have mentioned Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> right. Because he went nonstop. That I don't know if scary. you remember when when he. I think it was was it McHale or somebody told me this story. Maybe Jimmy Stamos or somebody told me this story. Jimmy Stamos. Remember wow. him? Yes. Well, he's still around. When when, when uh, Johnny had his stroke, one of his arms didn't move. He had one arm that was like right. totally frozen. Right. But he still kept his watch on that arm. It was his left or his right arm that was frozen. I don't remember. Uh, left. Left. So he kept his watch there. And, and on the bus going from the, he said, Mikhail used to constantly ask him, Johnny, what time you got? And Johnny used to have to reach it. He'd, he'd reach with him with his finger, lift up his dead arm with the watch strap, look at it, and then let it drop back True. down. So on the bus, because Johnny couldn't hear him laughing either. They were, they were all laughing. About 10 times in a 10-minute bus trip, somebody would ask Johnny what time it was so they could watch him <laughs> grab his watch with his finger, lift his arm up. And they, they were all laughing at the guy. And it, I think McHale was the, was the ringleader. He was. And, and Danny Ainge was the same way. Danny used to put uh, exploding <laughs> caps in Johnny's cigarettes. And he used to load up the whole pack. So he'd go and he'd load up the whole pack. And he'd, but this, this is the guy who's the president so of the Boston Celtics now. Yeah, yeah. So he would load up caps <laughs> in every one of Johnny's cigarettes. And so Johnny would light one of them up and he'd be on the bus. Uh, get it, By the way, get off the bus because they wouldn't it's let you smoke funny. on the bus. He got off the bus and he would first thing he would do is light it up. All of the players knew this was happening. So they all stayed on the bus to watch Johnny and watch the exploding cigarette. So he'd get out and the thing would go ba-boom and it would blow up in his face or whatever. So without hesitation, Johnny would move on to the next cigarette and just light it up. It's like, it must have been one defective cigarette. I got a lot in the pack. This is one defective one. But there was stuff. I remember we were in Golden State. Same building they're playing in now, which they're finally moving out of, thank God, which is the Oracle Arena now. And Johnny and I got into a big screaming match. 
I, I forget what happened. His recorder failed when he was recording the coach or some stupid thing happened. And he's screaming and he didn't get done what he was supposed to do. And he starts screaming at me at courtside. And the players are right to the right of us. They're right there on the bench. And he's screaming at me. He goes, I'm the show here. I'm the show. Not you. I'm the show. <laughs> and he's, you know, degrading me. And I'm sitting there going, okay, John, calm down. Calm Didn't down. Didn't you do that with Pete Shepard a lot? No, no, no. I never did it with Pete. Well, we're, we're fine. So that night, <laughs> Celtics are trailing in the game. In the fourth quarter, and Larry Bird comes up with this phenomenal fourth quarter. I don't know, he scored 16 or 18, including the game winner at the buzzer or whatever. It was an unbelievable performance by Bird. Everybody gets on the bus. I'm sitting up front. Johnny and I have made up right now. We're cool. I'm cool. I'm good with you. I'm good. We're fine. Larry Bird walks on the bus. He walks over to uh, to Johnny Moss, and he goes, remember one thing, Johnny. I'm the fucking show. Okay, not you. I'm the fucking show. It was, it was unbelievable. Oh, was that unbelievable. is great. The great Glenn Ordway. My friend, you have my permanent respect, and uh, I miss you. I haven't seen you in three years. I miss you too, Mike. Good luck, pal. We used to get together and have dinner. Why don't we do Let's that again? Let's do this. We, after we both Let's... get fired, we used to have dinner. We can go to Why Joe do... Fish. Oh, we'll go to Joe Fish. Let's have dinner at Joe Fish. How about the lobster tail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>